is open. Father God, we come to you this glorious morning, and Father, we just praise you, and we lift up uh, just your name in great adoration. Father, you're just so awesome. But Lord, we are so humbled uh, by your abundant grace and your mercy to us. And Lord, we every time, Father, we go to your word, we just see the depths of your love for us. Father, we see the the importance of your in that love and your, your instruction to us. Lord, help us. Your Spirit just guides us today as we've even consider uh, our continued discussion on our civil responsibilities. That, Father, in your sovereignty that you have created every institution and ordinance of man. Father, we just praise you for that and the fact that we are safe, that we are here, and that we have the freedom to be able to be in your word and to share in that fellowship. So I pray your spirit will lead today. And as always, we give you all the thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Isn't it interesting last week that in this message um, that Michael was teaching on with going back to about the filling of the spirit. In taking some time in going back into Ephesians 5, where Ephesians 5.18, Paul writes, what, to be filled with the Spirit. And then what follows that in, in the text? What is follows Ephesians 5.18? Describe it what it looks like. Paul. Okay. Yeah, if you want to go there, take a look at it, and just you can just talk out loud of what you see. Okay, there is submission. What, what immediately follows that is submission. Just again, look at that in five eighteen. And yet, what precedes the submission, though, is this outflow of what there is. This, Right, there's, there's gratitude, there's thanksgiving, there's melody in the heart, there's the singing of psalms and hymns. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was for that very purpose. And so what follows then is subjection that we see. And that subjection is not only to one another, but it is clearly in God. You see where it's, it's in the fear of God. It is, that is the basis for that in Ephesians. And then so therefore... There is a parallel that I, we see with respect of how Peter has written to his readers. Where, in other words, there is this call for submission, and then there is this flow. But I wanted to share this: is that before we can truly submit, it needs to be of the Spirit. You see that? To have true biblical submission, it needs to be, it's the result of the filling of the Spirit. What does it look like? It looks like Galatians 5, doesn't it? It's all of those things that we see as, as the outflow. And so as I reflect upon what uh, message was last Sunday in this filling of the Spirit, in this continuous aspect of it, there's a continual filling of that, is that the more that you are filling that the Spirit is filling you, the, the stronger submission plays out and manifests itself in your life. Also, that on that basis, it's there, is that the continual is that I, th- I thought of the Colossians 3.16 verse. In other words, how do you get that filling of the Spirit? And what does it say? To be in the Word. Allow the Word of God to richly dwell in you. And then in that passage in Colossians, which follows is what? It's the same thing. It's the gratitude. It's the outflow of that. I share that is because, once again, is that as we look at what um, this, this filling of the Spirit, the significance of that, but also is that true biblical submission is that result. It is the manifestation of that believer that is filled with the Spirit. So, Thanksgiving, you know, so critical to the ability to see the presence. And I think it's, it's, it's definitely one of the questions you asked here is how is 
I think Satan's motive is, uh, or how I, you know, act like Satan's Satan when I'm not thankful is that it's like, it's like, it's like, That question was there for that very, that very purpose because what clearly the response is is that when you look at even other passages, and let's just go right to, to Matthew 4 where Christ was, what, he was tempted by Satan to act out independent of God. And so that in itself, I think you've hit it there, is this gratitude is recognition that it is total subjection to God and that there's nothing, there's no dependence even on myself of that. So therefore, so then should it manifest itself, let's say from a, physical, a civil perspective, that we should be that same level of gratitude and thanksgiving uh, and joy as we pay our taxes? <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> God's word has that. Right. right. Yeah. I'm just using it same because that has to be, if it, if it, if it has us in it, the answer to that is, well... Boy, I, I struggle with that. Can give me a different example, Dave? You know. Well, well so let's just, I mean, just build on that, right? I mean, I hate playing taxes, right? But, but I love playing God, right? So when I think about the prophet, right? I don't think that you know, who put the joy set before him, right? You know, I mean, I think the experiential joy that Christ had wasn't because he wanted to really endure what he was going to go through, right? It was really about his desire to God the Father. See, I, I can, I agree, and, and this is the thing. I'll try to take taxes because see, I know quite a bit about taxes. You know, so within my work, see, see, look at it is that what is the tax? I, 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 I have to work through that to have this biblical, uh, true biblical thanksgiving and perspective on that tax. I'm going to look at two passages that specifically talk about taxes. I got a great model of Jesus that he navigated through two tax situations. But I was thinking more with beyond that to where we would get to the discussion part of the how do you navigate through the, the okay? Because is there a difference? So in other words, the the taxes that I pay, that's clear in, in Scripture of how we respond to that. Now, I think that Jesus didn't go further into saying, well, but, and this is how the taxes may be used and how which ones are okay and which ones are not okay. Because when you drill down to it, say in, in any of the situations, you could take um, any kind of federal program that literally would support something that's unbiblical. That tax money is going there to say, that, okay, well, then I can't pay taxes. You see, that's this navigating part of it that we you stop right here, and this is the simple faith and trust in base and higher because what you look at it to say, and that frankly is was is that to go ahead is that did Jesus not pay the tax? He did. Do we know what that tax was used by those evil kings? Yeah. 
enough. Absolutely, right. I just share this as an example because sometimes our minds just stop right there and we don't think forward on that. That's where the, the navigating part comes and I share some of that with you. Okay. As one who was paid by taxes for 20 years, I have a little different aspect to some of that. Because I live from taxes. That's the way the armed forces are. They're paid largely by taxes. So I don't have the negative aspect of paying taxes that some other people do. <laughs> yeah, it, it, uh, you're exactly right, and I think that there there's some little there's some little clues in that too, just because of the way that Jesus, he sovereignly actually even knew what Peter was thinking ahead, you know. So he has he knows he knows exactly what that is for. So I think there's something to take from that of that sovereign knowledge of what was behind the tax. Here's here's one. I keep going off on tangents, but you know where he paid the tax by getting from the fish. Why didn't he just like create the money? Well, I, I believe he did it the miracle to basically say is that I'm God. Sure, I'll pay taxes. Of course, I'm going to pay taxes because I created the government too. But I am also the creator of the world. And watch here. Did you see that? Instead of it saying they focused primarily on the drachma itself and the tax, they maybe didn't think that he just performed a miracle in front of them. That's just one example of that, and I don't want to digress from there, but yeah, Lisa. Here's your verse, First uh, Timothy two, two says. Therefore, this is Paul. Paul had the right perspective. I mean, what does he? What does he urge uh, his readers? He says, First Timothy two two one says. Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, to be testified in due time. So, we talked last week, I said, well, what do we do then? We pray. It's one of the things. So we pray for our, all of our governing officials themselves. We're respecting them. We're honoring them. In that passage, it says in verse 17, to honor all men. That means the very kings that Peter's talking about Nero, believe it or not. Challenging in itself, but yet that's pretty clear of what our responsibility is. And so that's, that's what we can do to get the, the greatest focus. So in our objective as we've working through this this whole topic, which is fascinating, is that we would give honor to those in authority. That God would grant us the ability to obey Peter's instructions both in spirit and in truth to the glory of God and for our ultimate good. And what I mean by this, in the spirit of, tr- of, of truth, it's not in the spirit of compulsion. In other words, I have to do this. It is true biblical submission would be defined this way, and that is in the spirit of truth, in a true spiritual way of submission. And 
instruction and follow that to the glory of God. Ultimately, for our good. This objective, uh, it is not. Uh, this is going to be. This is just what we're trying to. Would be our primary spiritual objective on this topic, on this topic of civil responsibility. Uh, I'll make sure it's there next week. Okay, so save it, and I'll put it on print next week. So as we navigate through the verse, is the way we broke this down. Is that last week I said, well, we're gonna, this is where we're at. So what we're taking in the passage, and let's just read it together. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a, as a covering for evil, but use it as God's grace of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So from a civic responsibility perspective is that what we're focusing on this theme of submission. And I believe that, that how it comes together, and we look back last week at the verses that Mark had covered preceding this, back in First Peter, where, if you remember in verse, verse 12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that they, they may speak, that they... When, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God. So there's this conduct. So it's a similar type of theme that ties to, for such is the will of God, that by doing right, you will silence the ignorance of foolish men. So we're going to talk about, even from an application standpoint, what is this silence aspect of it. So... The three primary things that we're focusing on in the first section of the passage, 13 to 17, is verses 13 to 14, which is our command for submission, our motive for submission, and our extent submission. And then next week we will look at actually the application of submission as it relates to the silencing aspect of it, but also how we act within our freedom. So last week this was a slide we had which talked about why government is important. Biblically, if you just go back, and we went all the way back and looked at Genesis, there has there's a significant amount uh, when we look at the relationship between civil government and Christians, is that God has sovereignly ordained government going all the way back. We see to Genesis, we Israel under Egyptian rule in Genesis 15, Gentile rule when God gave the Jews over to the consequence of the rebellion in Deuteronomy. Israel was directed to submit to Babylonian rule in Jeremiah. And then in Acts, it was this reference to the Roman rule that we talked about. So Peter will inform us that we have the same obligation to obey our government. Do as unbelievers, uh, as unbelievers living in this nation, but the Christian has an even a higher obligation. So obedience to that, because like in my example that I gave, is that I wasn't the only one that was driving the speed limit. There were some that were driving... Uh, you know, responsibly next to me, but yet I, as a believer, my response is, is that I even have even a higher obligation than that person. For what purpose? To silence the ignorance of the foolish. What we were talking about. So this is sort of what we, we, last week we went through. This command is given to submit, which was the first part of verse thirteen, to submit for the Lord's sake, and this word of submission last week, and these are highlighted in your outline there, I already put these in last week, is this arrangement in military fashion under the commander to put oneself in the attitude of submission. And I'm going to challenge this because I want you to think about something as we now can separate sort of a worldly submission to a uh, more of a biblical submission. Because in a worldly submission perspective, when I see even this def- definition of submit, which is arranging in military fashion, I see a line, right? And therefore, is that a line of authority this way? It is our worldly perspective many times when submission is, is that within life, is that I want to have as few people 
in front of me, in line, that is giving me orders, correct? Because I've earned it. And I want to have as many people then this way that I am in authority over, correct? I just share that because that's our tendency. Even as, as we age, we're saying, you know, hey, that's your seniority. So we're in line this way. Keep that thought because in the passage that we'll look at is that Jesus is going to confront his own apostles and because they were, he comes up and says, hey, what are you guys talking about? Well, they were talking about who was going to be in the greatest. And Jesus responds back and he says, no, no, no. You want them all. You want to be last. I share that because as I, I put this up here, which is technically the definition of submission in military fashion, that we, we broaden that understanding during our time together. Because it's, it needs to be more than within that military perspective. In addition to being a matter of authority, it is a matter of priority. It's not. The secular view would view it just from this aspect of authority, but we're going to expand that to include priority. And the, the, why it's the priority is because in these passages that we already talked about, Ephesians 5.21, it is saying submit to one another. In other words, it's others. And so therefore it becomes a priority. In Philippians 2.1-5, it is what? Looking for the interests of others. We're modeling Christ and others. So therefore it's a, it's a priority. Submitting yourself to every human institution. Last week, we your your version of the Bible that we talked about the fact that your version may say uh, ordinance of man, and we, we talked about this human institution actually being this word of creation. In other words, that it is something that God creates. And the conclusion that we had is we went back to actually to Romans thirteen, and that's a great parallel passage to First uh, Peter two. If you want to just put your thumb in there. Romans 13. That's our other government chapter of the Bible. Romans 13 is uh, 1, and especially in verse 2. It says, Let every soul be subject to governing authorities. It's a, almost a direct parallel to 1 Peter 2.13. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. As we look at this, this call for submission, first of all, as we look at that, is every institution is organized and ordained sovereignly by God, ultimately derived by God. And so therefore, we have, I had a question like, is, is, is then every government legitimate? Technically, yes. From the standpoint of it being part of the institution. What they do is a different story. And we see that evil even within. I mean, again, at the time of both Paul writing Romans and at the same time, time frame of Peter writing his letter, Nero was the leader, a very evil king, and yet is the same recognition that even God is sovereignly over that. So what is the reason for civil obedience? The reason for civil obedience is that God is sovereign. And those authorities who do exist have been established by His providence. They've been established by those authorities that do exist all have been established by God, by Him, in His providence. I, 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 I said it last week, but I love in, in John 19 where Pilate, Jesus is standing before Pilate, and he, Pilate having no idea that literally the creator of the universe is before him, and Pilate says to Jesus, Do you know, in verse 10, do you know that I have the authority to release you and I have the authority to crucify you? And uh, Jesus' response, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. You think you have authority, Pilate? You don't have any authority. I'm allowing you. Same thing we saw in, in Proverbs 21, 
it says the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. To resist the authority, Paul writes in Romans, is to oppose the ordinance of God. Please. Um, what about... And I don't want to redirect it or throw anything You know, when you think about other countries and things that they go through, that there is, is resisting, resistance of government ordinances in the Christian realm from worship and so many things. I, I just, I'm trying to get my head around. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when you think about... You know, yeah, we trust you, and it's it in my mind just to be talking about it. You know, that, that Christians do go against some of the. I, I, and I don't mean to throw anything or sidetrack us, but I don't know how to address that in this conversation. Did you know what I'm your talking question, about? Your question is one of the circumstances that. that Right. Characterize themselves that, to allow us to say no. I will cross that line. And the answer really is pretty simple looking ahead as we look at. I think I, I'm going to point to. I'll take us through several, like a few passages. Okay? The one passage I'll, I'll go Old Testament is I'll, I'll cite the example of Moses in Exodus when the midwives were commanded to kill, they disobeyed. Because it was a that was a command of God, okay. Okay. All right. right. Yeah. Another example would be is is in Acts that we see with with Paul. They were commanded. So the answer, the starting point, and where I I get because I won't go further than this is that is it? Are you telling me? Am I commanded? The I versus the the us type of thing. That's, think about that for a minute. Because in each of those, all of the examples that I looked, I found in Scripture, it is a direct command to disobey to an individual, not collectively, corporately. Okay, and that's so. That's how you help navigate that. No. Yeah, no, that, because you, you, you cite those passages, and that's why I, went back, I looked back specifically at the... And, 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 and to support the, the midwife situation, and in Hebrews, they were commended for that. They were listed in the, the Heroes of Faith. Oh. It wasn't a protest. It was a silencing of the foolish is what it was. And this, that's exactly what you're going to see in the commonality in each of those. It was not a protest. In all of Paul's arrest, I can't find where he resisted the the, the arrest. I think for me, there's a distinction between submission and biblical submission. Submission is pure and simple. I give. Biblical submission is intelligent submission. It is filtering what you're doing through the Word. What does God tell me to do? Does, does that an agreement with what the civil ordinance is telling you? I got a chart on that. That's what. That's exactly what we have. I'm going to try to give you those tools. In other words, we have one column that says worldly submission or secular submission. What does it look like? Because that's where our man goes. And you're right, Cheryl. It's this is what biblical submission is, and this is where we live and camp. Some were trying to plot the 
you know, now I'm not, I wasn't there, I can't make a decision for people, but so I think there are probably a few people who are missing his reaction probably went too far with it. You know, um, in, in, in that maybe they stepped over just, okay, but, but most, but most of them, you know, maybe it's trying to get the news and they're trying to obey God in the middle of that situation. Some of them lost their lives. They get the Constitution to going back again is is that in the actions that are taken in there it is how they are done and on what basis they're doing it from the standpoint is is that it's direct and we'll look at the Daniel passage as another example Uh, Daniel 3 and 6 would be two another examples as far as a a direct command that applied to them individually and yet how did they handle it with true biblical submission. Those are great examples that we see. At the same time, I want to go down and, and even explore uh, some, when we get sometime. When we get there, is that is are there legal pursuits that we see within Scripture? And I, in other words, when would it? And that Paul, in Acts 16, he actually, he would not let the Romans let him off the hook because how they treated him. And like basically, he was like calling them out, and so he he was pursuing and appealing. You see these appeals, and so it's it's interesting to look at some of those examples of when is that. And basically, to me, that comes down to that those God ordained or sovereign uh, leaders are also accountable for the very same laws that are applied to me, and they need to be held accountable as well. So now you know why we don't get through some. <laughs> I know. I, I'm just thinking. I'm not I, I would uh, please. I think Mark and I, Mark, would agree. We prefer this. This is so much easier to get into because, to me, that you're processing, right. and I don't want you to wait for two weeks to get. Well, I'll bring that back. So if you're going to tie off on the question of Jordan later, that's fine. Yeah. But if, you have, if you're not going work planning to, to be just ask. Can you show the differences there and what you just talked about here versus what that Yeah, his question last week, which was that uh, in Hobby Lobby, you know, because of the mandates that uh, are going to be placed because of health care reform that he is advancing, there are employers, mine included, let's say, all employers are now going to be required to really offer an expanded benefit. Um, that some of those provisions and benefits are things that are related to specifically to abortion and such that philosophically as well as even from a, a corporate standpoint, in this case you have a Christian company that is saying we're, we, it goes against what we believe. So therefore, they are resisting that corporately and are taking it to the next levels to prevent the government from allowing them to stop that. And so the question was, is what is our, our view and am I view on this thing? All My response on this is that as I look at the examples in Scripture, that I will share is, is that, that no individual is commanded to take that drug or to do that. The, the corporately, they're required to take on the insurance requirement, but that's there's mandates that apply everywhere. Is there, a, is there a big difference, again, to the fact that, let's say, the, it's the tax, like the tax question. We, you as individually pay taxes to that government that is now imposing that mandate for that. Connect the dots. Tell me where you, you stop connecting the dots. And so, therefore, that's a decision for that company to make. I believe biblically that it, the answer is, is, is when you navigate through that question, I'm going to let, I would simply just submit that to Home Depot, uh, not Home Depot, Home Hobby Lobby to process it from, it, are, you comm- are you commanded to have to do this? Immoral, take this drug, and therefore, if you were, then it would be a pos- proper position to be able to be in disobedience to that. And, and maybe to add to that, just to support the law and the righteous, righteous appealing appellate capability on um, part two, um, that going into effect, and 
They are a not in the realm of like uh, you know getting a whole movement going. Yeah. Which which is which the you know he give me an article and there was I when I read that 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 was part of it it was sort of the let's 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 start rallying everybody also so that the other employers necessarily would have the same view on that or resist that so that I, the other part of biblical response to that as I would say is the silence aspect which is ultimately what we see in all of the examples in Scripture that there was a, it was a very orderly, submissive way that they, were, they took on the process of appeal or in disobedience. I mean, Daniel is a perfect example is that he was praised for that. There was obedience to that but in a very appropriate way, not in a rallying way. Why? Again, it's because it is, it is literally what is God trying... It's the verses we're looking at right now that how can you do that when it's... Uh, look at the passage that we looked at, Mark went over, and then 15, that specifically it says, again, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. So therefore, if in the example I gave, is so there's, there's this huge rally against the government and you have Christian organization that's out there and you have a, just a regular civic organization and this group, let's say, gets unorderly in, in that rally. Do we know the difference in the group? Which one, you know, do, do, do all the Christians make sure you stand on this side of the, the protest and the non-believers, you can be over here? No. So from the, the media's perspective, and so therefore I come back and I'm saying that is that being honorable among the Gentiles? Ultimately, again, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. That silence, there's a lot of passages that connect to that, that ultimately Jesus himself exemplified. He was a perfect model in that submission literally within a structure of elite. It was the Roman government that crucified. It's almost like the prophet. That's these are the these are the tough ones. I don't you know but yet what we try to provide you it's it's the tools. It's the you know what what could be some of the things very much what Cheryl had said is that, you know, I need to I need to know what secular Submission looks like, and I need to know what biblical submission looks like, and what examples that I can provide, and then you process that in such a way, legally, if necessary, in a way that's going to be according to the laws that are established. We do this all the time. We abide by the laws all the time. What do we do as a church? Um, 2 Corinthians 10.3, a good passage for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. And it's just parallels what we just been talking about. But divinely powerful for the destruction of the fortresses. And in that passage, another parallel one is Ephesians 6.12, which says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So, Ephesians 6 tells us what kind of weapons that we should be using. Truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, and prayer. So, this is what we pick up. <laughs> this is where I left off, Mark. <laughs> I've never seen this before. <laughs> this is where I left off from last week. <laughs> Be here again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, business funny. Okay, well, here we go. When we are willing and graciously place ourselves under the authority of our government, elected leaders, 
when we humbly live in obedience to the laws of the land, whether we agree with them or not, we will be being obedient not only to them, but to the motive for submission is for the Lord. Peter writes, therefore submit yourself to every ordinance of man. The words that follow for the Lord's sake. We do all. We do all. All we can live in such a way that we're bringing peace, we're bringing goodness, in such a way that obviously it is for Christ, for the Lord's sake. Some of the um, example that I want to look at is in Matthew 17. And this was this tax thing question. So Jesus exemplified this in his own ministry. Again, willingly and graciously placing himself under the authority of our government and elected leaders living in obedience to the laws. We're being obedient not only to them, but to Christ. So this is an interesting section of Matthew 17. Matthew chapter 17. And someone could read verses 24 to 27. Okay, in this, we have this, this temple tax. And, and I, we have this, obviously, this dialogue that's occurring. And this was the example that I shared earlier. So that about a month prior to, to Passover, they, these tax collectors, they travel through Palestine and they collect these taxes. And in verse 24, it, just, it indicates that so when they had come to Capernaum, that they... So the, to receive this temple tax. And it came to Peter, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? So now the, the question itself was rhetorical, wasn't it? It was rhetorical because it would be somewhat, they look at this, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? What these opposers, those that would be in opposition to Christ, are constantly trying to get him, trick him into whatever it might be. And this is what, uh, why the, when they come into the house, Jesus had already anticipated. So there was already a knowledge of that. And he says, what do you think, Simon? So what was Simon thinking? What do you think? What was the temple tax dedicated to? Interesting. In the, in the, greater, in the greater thing. The, the, the temple tax itself was actually it was uh, in other words what was the temple dedicated to it was dedicated to the father so technically this tax itself was indirectly supporting that okay so it had a good purpose for it more or less in a few chapters before in Matthew chapter 12 verse 6 this is an interesting that there's controversy that Jesus has over the Sabbath and labor. Uh, but he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for priests. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? And here it is. Yet I say to you, that in this place there is one greater than the temple. And so when we look at this, is that he is doing it first of all, and he says it, yes, in other words, he, in a way he's saying this, is that I am greater than the temple. Who would be exempt then? Jesus. Yeah. Basically, he's the one that 
puts everything into place. And, but yet we see this, what does he say in there? He says, not, he says, but lest we give offense. But lest we give offense, he's going to pay this. And, so, and there is a submission that we see within this. And so therefore, as we ourselves, is that when we, there's really no tax outside of the sovereignty of God and its purposes. And so therefore, whether we don't think that a tax is justified in any way, basically what I'm seeing in this, and and Jesus is indirectly saying that this is not a necessary tax. But yet, there's submission to that and there's this gift. And so if Jesus were to excuse himself from this one, obviously it would create an objection to that, or in this case, disobedience to that requirement to pay the taxes. And so again, it goes back to the Romans passage, and I'll just read it since I have it. Render to all, all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Romans 13. Jesus said, last week gave them Yeah. It's the silencing. It's the silencing. And so this is this whole aspect of it. it and I like to tie it back to himself saying, I am above this. I am. This is about me. One greater than the temple. So he exemplified this. The temple is an institution, the old law. Jesus was the new law. Therefore, was not... Submissive to the old law, but since the new law was not yet instituted, he did not want to come against the old law at that time. He was willing to take that in his own way because the new law was not yet fully instituted. It's like the answer to the question, the rhetorical question: You know, is it lawful for him to pay taxes? Of course, it's it's the law. You're right. So the extent of the submission, and this is just plays off of what you had just said, Cheryl. It's every institution, whether to the king as the one in authority, or to the governors that sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. It says in, in verse 13 into 14, it's to every institution. The second thing it says in that passage, it's to every human institution. Submit yourself. And then it says, submit yourselves to every, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. So there's a, it's not only to the supreme leaders that we clearly recognize, and even unto the wicked, Nero in this situation, that God is sovereign and he cannot approach things in the world's way, but only through his. It's also to those secondary leaders. In this case, governors. Those leaders and rulers who are lower on a more or less political level themselves. So, would that even include like um, a village commissioner that's elected? Yeah, my camera running for uh, the village um, trustee position. Even at that level, would even it's not. Well, it's I, I just ask, ask you a question. In that passage there, it's, it says him. There is a, it's a small H in your Bible, right? So who is the him? Looking at it again. For this is the will of God that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. In verse 14, it says, Or the governor, as to those who are sent by him. Who's him? Do you think? It's not capitalized. And if it was to be capitalized, um, in verse 9, Mark, it is. Where it talks about the excellencies of him, it's capital, it's small. I believe it's Nero. I believe, or in other words, he has appointed those lower those lower leaders, okay? But does it really matter? 
It is a capital H, isn't it? Right, that's what I'm saying, is that I believe it was the king, the small h, but for our discussion here, it doesn't really matter. It's the capital H, it's God, who actually, again, where it says that sent by Him, it is they're sent by God, sovereign. I just want to keep that sovereign perspective back in, even when we look at a text this way, that we keep it with the broader perspective, always in view. The supreme leaders may be the intermediate sources, in other words, but God is always the ultimate source. Psalm 75, verse 6 and 7. I have that already. Let me just read this or wrote it down. For not from the east, nor from the west, nor from the desert comes exaltation, but God is the judge. Capital J. He puts down one and exalts another. We'll come out of time on this. We'll stop here at this point. Put a line in this. Bring your sheet back. <laughs> And we'll we got much much to do. Little time. Mark, you want to close this in prayer? That'd be great. Thanks.